Like I think about Oprah, Oprah, phenomenal mm-hmm. interviewer. And she interviews like totally normal people. And somehow she's able to not make it about herself. Yet she's the most powerful person in media. In the universe. In the universe. I aspire to be Oprah. Yeah, don't we all? Let's start, I guess. Hi. Hava. Hi. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi. 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 Hello. Fancy seeing you here. I know. This is wild. Oh my gosh. Michael, you go here? I go here. I do. I do. I've been coming here for the last few months, actually. Wow. Well, hi, how am I, you say? Um, uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, Baruch Hashem. All morning I've been watching season three of Stiesel, which just dropped. Hava, I watched the first episode of season three, and it was so heart-wrenching that I couldn't... Oh my god, I know, I cried. <laughs> I cried like a baby. I couldn't fucking even start episode two. <gasps> god it's it's too it's i just, get it no i really get it and i'm just like i don't have it i don't have the fucking emotional bandwidth right now seriously i just finished episode three and i could be heard loudly saying throughout the entire house what the fuck what the fuck is happening so uh fellow Stiesel fans i hope you're all suffering along with us joyfully suffering yeah so i've been watching Stiesel and playing animal crossing this morning i got some feedback on my presentation that i'm doing for the trans jews are here convening about building trans jewish community online listeners if you want to know about that and go to it you should go to cbst.org slash trans jews and look into it. There's a lot of cool workshops. And mine is one of them. And also later in the day, that day on the 31st, Michael and I are going to be on a panel about trans Jewish podcasting. Very exciting stuff coming up. What else is happening? What else is going on? You know, just gardening. My roommate and I are going to play some Magic the Gathering this weekend. Oh, my boyfriend and I officially filed our first apartment application together. Oh my god. We found a place in the exact area for the exact price that we want that will let me have a cat. So I'm really hoping we get approved and then either in June or July, hopefully we'll move there. Wow, that's nice. I just ordered myself a bunch of black market Animal Crossing amiibos. (laughs) <laughs> oh, very nice. Yes. I've gone a little bit amiibo crazy, but I've toned myself down. I like picked like my perfect balance of Islanders and ordered all the amiibos for them. I time traveled, Michael. What? If you can believe it. Why? I know. Why? <sighs> well, because I restarted my island. Okay. Okay. Listeners, time traveling is in-game action that you can do that is frowned upon globally by everyone who plays this game. Yes, Michael did it a lot, and I no, I did it once. It. You shamed me for it, and I, <laughs> I never didn't did it again. I shame you for it. I just shared my concerns. Okay, I did it once. Oh my god, I did it so much. But the thing you is, you need to go to a mikvah now. <laughs> I restarted my island because I was playing on a digital copy that wasn't mine. So I couldn't play on my own profile. I had to use time traveling. You know, I didn't want to wait like a month to get back where I was since I started playing again. Okay, well, so long as you that's all you did, you just wanted to get back to where you were. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, actually, it's become quite an ethical conundrum for me, and it feels kind of appropriate for a Talmud podcast. Before I time traveled, which is a tactic that's frowned upon in this game, I sort of had this strong boundary, this identity that like, oh, I play Animal Crossing and I don't time travel. But once I broke that boundary, now every time I have to wait for something, I'm like, 
do I time travel or not? Like, has this changed me fundamentally? Has this changed what I consider to be acceptable animal transgressions? This is the slippery slope. I know. This is exactly what I was afraid of. I've become a victim of my own moralizing. Uh, You know, I used to say... And I still say, actually, (laughs) all it takes to corrupt someone is a six-figure salary. Boom. And for you, (laughs) all you need is time traveling. It's true. All I need is to defy the laws of causality. That's my uh, current emotional dilemma. Michael, hi, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm in a bit of a code hole right now, working on a super secret special Talmud-related project. Right, a web project. You're learning to do some front-end web development. Yeah, it may not come to fruition, but if it does, I'll let listeners know and they can check it out and hopefully mm-hmm. maybe use it to help them study a little bit. You know, it's sunny. I went outside, I looked at the nature, and I went back inside, had a bowl of chips. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. Oh, I do have a story. My mom told me a wild fucking story. I was at my parents doing the filial duty of visiting them, and my mom made a meal that was flavored with nutmeg. Great. And she says to me, oh, have I told you the story about the nutmeg? I was like, no, and my brother was like, oh, you gotta tell Mike, he's gonna love it. (laughs) So she goes to the spice cabinet, takes out this bag of, like, four nutmegs, whole nutmegs. Uh Uh-huh. This dusty little, like, you know, plastic bag. And she said, these nutmegs that I used to season this meal, I got when I got married to your father. Your grandmother gave it to me and said, use this nutmeg to season your meals. You use a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. And it'll make stuff taste good. And the story (laughs) is, in the Soviet Union, you couldn't get nutmeg. It was, like, impossible to get nutmeg. But my grandmother, who was very social and kind of knew how to talk people up, she had Mm -hmm. a friend who worked in the sausage factory where they had access to nutmeg. Wow. She smuggled out a couple things of nutmeg. And then when my mom got married, she passed down a few of the nutmegs to my mom. Wow. So my mom had clandestine black market. Clandestine Soviet heirloom nutmegs. That is still used, for better or for worse, to flavor a meal at the Sokolovsky household. Wow. Wow. That is a tale unlike any I've ever heard before. Yeah. It's stories like that that make it uh, hard for me to take anyone seriously who signs off their emails with Comrade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Michael. We're definitely going to get canceled for that one. Bring it on. Bring it on, sure. Say, okay, be nice to us. We're trying. Yeah, we're trying. Should we talk about some Talmud? I think we've bantered for long enough. I think so. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about some Talmud. (laughs) Okay. We are journeying today to the page of Yoma 82a. So Yoma is a Masechet that is sort of about the laws of Yom Kippur, all kinds of different laws, like how Yom Kippur was observed when there was a temple and just all kinds of... Yom Kippur-related ephemera. And so, our text here is, Tenu Rabbanan, Umra Shehercha Basar Kodesh O Basar Hazir Tochavin Lakush Berotev Umanachin Laalpi. Our rabbis taught us, a pregnant woman who smells and craves either sacred meat or the meat of a pig, they put a reed in the juice and put it in her mouth. listeners if you could see the look Uh, on michael's face right now they are truly boggled um 
Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> is there a reason why, or are we, uh, are we, uh, well, are we, we to assume? Well, we will get to the reason why, and I think there's interesting things to think about with the reason why, but just a quick thing I want to say is the first time I studied this, I thought the reed was like a straw for her to drink, like pork juice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's actually like they soak the reed, and then she sort of like sucks on it, like a pork-flavored like piece of gum made out of grass okay and if it's sacred meat yeah if it's sacred meat like normally she would not be allowed to eat it by law because it was for a priest or something like that so okay if there's a pregnant woman mm-hmm. and she's like you know i'm really craving some of that sacrificial That's meat sacred meat i crave that sacred meat every day i oh my god <laughs> um yeah, I want the sacred meat that only the Kohanim get. Right. My craving will not be satisfied by just any meat. It could only possibly be satisfied by sacred meat. That's a relatable problem. Okay, so basically the rabbis are like, okay, you're pregnant, you want it, we'll give you a little bit. Yes, contextually, this is referring to on Yom Kippur. Not only can she eat this forbidden substance, she's eating it on a day during which no eating should be happening at all whoa whoa okay wait, wait what if it wasn't <laughs> yom kippur would they just like be shoveling bacon down her gullet <laughs> well i don't know the answer to what they would be doing if it wasn't yom kippur my assumption based on my feeling for how talmud works is that if she's allowed this on yom kippur all the more so she should be allowed on a regular day hey, that's how i would take it there's a little bit more im need if this satisfies her temperament herself, then that's great. And if it doesn't, then they feed her the juice itself. And if this satisfies her temperament, then it's for the good. And if it doesn't, they feed her the fat itself because there is nothing that stands in the way of the protection of life. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Wait, wait, this is interesting. This is interesting. I agree. It's interesting. You know, that I was thinking it might be interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think is- they're onto something here. So basically, you can at least eat pork fat mm-hmm. if you're a pregnant woman. On Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur. And you were not satisfied by a juice-soaked reed or by the juice itself. And presumably, even if it's not Yom Kippur. I would guess so, but I am i can't answer that for sure. Part of what I love about this is that I have myself a tendency to think of doing mitzvahs in terms of binaries. Like, either I keep kosher or I don't. Either I daven today or I didn't. Oh, either I, you know, follow modesty law all the time or I don't follow at all. Something I really like about their prescription here is they sort of understand, of course, we're assuming this woman wants to keep kosher. And so when she has this craving, which seemingly is so intense that it could be life-threatening, we offer her sort of not just eat pork or don't eat pork, but a gradient where she can sort of choose how far she needs to go. It's trying to balance her desire to keep kosher with also her need to have this forbidden food. And it's sort of allowing her not just like, oh, well, you know, you just do this thing and abrogate the law and that's that. There's some shades of gray in there. Quite an example. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like this should be like a rule of the internet. Rule 57. You know a conversation <laughs> has jumped the shark when you start making analogies about pregnant women eating pork on... <laughs> yeah, you know a halachic debate has jumped the shark at that point. It's wild. That's very wild. It's just kind of shocking. It's just shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me, right, that they don't say she gets a craving for sacred meat or for pork. What if we offer her beef first? What if we offer her non-sacred meat? You know, what if we offer her something similar? But they don't offer her something similar. They go right to offering her sort of different levels of the exact thing she had the craving for. Maybe they determine that the craving is that. You know, it's implied that they would... It's implied that they've already gone through that process. They've gone through that process. Well, that's possible, but we would have to read that into the text. Like, honey, are you sure? Do you need pickles? Do you need... (laughs) I mean, it's certainly not in the text, but, you know, I'm willing to bet that humans have been pretty similar for most of time. And probably a lot of the assumptions that we could make are correct. And maybe some of them are going to be surprisingly wrong and we'll never know which ones are wrong and which ones are right. But, you know, I'm I'm, going to put my foot down. I'm going to say that uh, they probably asked her just like, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? sure? I mean, they ask her if she's satisfied with the reed and the juice. So they're probably checking in every step of the way. I have to say I'm stunned that I'm not given any more context by this passage on why a craving is life-threatening. It could be that they have an alternate uh, definition for the word craving that doesn't translate well. Sure. I also want to say there's a passage we haven't studied yet, which we will have to do on this show someday because it's so in our wheelhouse. But basically, this guy comes to the rabbis and he's like, if I can't have sex with this woman, I will die. And after a lot of back and forth, the rabbis are basically like, sucks to suck, like tough luck, dude. Whoa. Okay. What? Okay. Hava, (laughs) explain the relationship that you see between this sex situation and this woman and her pork situation. The way I see it is that it has to do with how the rabbis view the sincerity of the craving, you Mm, know? Okay. And, And I wonder even if there's some ancient gender politics at play where the rabbis are sort of like, listen, we've all felt like if we couldn't hook up with a certain lady, we would die. And we lived, so we're going to keep going. But to these guys, I assume pregnancy is pretty mysterious. So they're sort of like, well, we don't fucking know if a craving for pork will kill you, and we'd rather not find out. This is a very pro-choice philosophy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Pro-choice to eat pork. I support a woman's right to choose to eat bacon. (laughs) I, I definitely do. I actually find women who eat just eating quite attractive. (laughs) i think another interesting facet of this passage for me is that it sort of proves that like pork itself is not really the issue because clearly there's a situation in which the pork is okay it's not as if this person as far as i can tell they're not you know it doesn't talk about them being obligated to any kind of offerings or being contaminated in any way after we eat this pork yeah yeah. so presumably if if the stars align nothing stands in the way of protection of life meaning it's not only are you allowed to do this thing you're not normally allowed to do you are in fact completely in the clear it's no longer a thing you're not supposed to do yeah this reminds me i get frustrated when people are like oh well the reason people don't eat pork or they keep kosher is like, and they try to logic their way into a reason. Right. Well, well, this kind of, like, flies in the face of that if it was for, like, protecting against some sort of illness. Mm-hmm. Then... The parasite 
trichomoniasis, I think, trichnosis. Maybe a passage like this would be less likely to exist. And it just, it reminds me of, you know, you create demarcations between groups of people in order to separate yourself for good reasons and bad, but those separations between people and groups uh, create meaning, sometimes good Mm -hmm. meaning, sometimes bad. I think the pork one, my guess is it probably came about just as a demarcator. Yeah. Trichinosis is the thing I was trying to think of. That's the thing people talk about a lot with not eating pork. I read in this book for a biblical archaeology class I took when I was still in college that not eating pork is sort of the earliest verifiable cultural difference we can make about the people who lived in the area whom we might call Jews today. Oh, interesting. That's the oldest thing that we can be like, we didn't find any pork bones. That's like the first thing we can sort of confirm right. was a, a cultural signifier. Whereas presumably we did find pork bones in like the Roman settlements or whatever right. or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious what the circumcision, it's like, oh, we didn't find any foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we would be looking for foreskins in that case. Yeah, yeah, we'd have to find the... the we'd g- have to find the chirogenes of foreskins. Exactly. I do like this passage, not only because it's funny and ridiculous, because it, I think it is a little bit of evidence towards refuting, like, a scientific reason why we mm-hmm. keep kosher laws. I mean, I respect people who that works for them. For me, it doesn't motivate me to do mitzvahs to figure out anthropological, historical reasons. It's rare that it does the trick for me. I think the sort of general principle that you could derive from the science one is kind of shallow, if it is true. But I think the general principle you can derive if you think of it as just, this is a demarcator. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a much more interesting thing to reflect on than diseases. People were vaguely aware of them. Right. Wild, though. It is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a wild tale. I'm going to leave us on a Talmudic cliffhanger. So the last thing I said was, So the last sentence is, You feed her the fat itself because there's nothing for you that stands in the way of protection of life, except (gasps) next week we'll find out what the things are that defy this rule. That's exciting. Cool. Listeners, I hope that this episode soaked in the juice of Talmud and placed in your mouth has satisfied your temperament. And if not, please... Call the Talmud hotline, leave us a voicemail, send us a text at 401-484-1619. You can also ask us a question on our website at chaihowareyou.com. Please, please, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash chava de cordova so you can get access to all eight episodes a month. And you can also reach us by email at chaihowareyou at gmail.com. Yeah, and I want to refine my point a little bit. I'm not attracted to women who eat. I realize I'm just attracted to women eating breakfast. I find it really sexy. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If you're a woman who eats breakfast, look them up. Yeah. I mean, really, anyone eating breakfast is cute. (laughs) If you're a person who eats breakfast, send Michael a message. Um, Okay, listeners, thanks for joining us on this porktastic, porcupinacle of pork casting. We will talk to you on Wednesday in our patron episode. Shavua Tov, and I hope you all have a good Pesach. Yeah, Shavua Tov, good Pesach. Shavua Tov and uh, Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, is that like a Scottish? It's like happy holiday. That's like a Scottish, like, like haggis.